hey. And at this time, we're going to throw it over to Autumn Everlyn and Res Coast Grizz. Take it away. Ha ha hey. Catch up. Are Wichita. We... <laughs> yeah, it's real Wichita. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> Dog. So 124 sorry. in the house, in the mother sucking house. We caught them nappies. Hey, that's our new intro. And none other than Res Coast Grizz and Autumn worked on that. Gay got it to us this week, and uh, we, we dropped it. So that's our. that's going to be our new Intro from here on out. What yeah, you guys do? Yeah, shout out yeah. to Grizz, man. That is fire. Straight fire, son. Fire, fire. Episode 124, the driving passion episode. Yeah, hey. in, in the words of Randy, man, when I first heard that, it gave me the chills. Bagunda mm. <laughs> <laughs> gave me the chills. Rest Coast it just gave me the chills. Rest Coast just gave me the goosebumps. Autumn Everlyn and Res Coast Grizz. Yeah, shout out. Thanks a lot, guys, man. It's wow, we appreciate that, man. Checks in the mail. <laughs> yes, sir. I was telling these guys, like, yeah, we need more. Get some more. Have them do another one. Add some oh, more cowbell. <laughs> some more cowbell. <laughs> we need more cowbell. But yeah, that's great. Thanks, man. That's I like it. I, I, yeah. Yeah, that's nice. It's, I love it. I love it. I love it. I think that one's going platinum. I like it. I like it a lot. I like it a lot. Okay, over here to my left, all the way from L. Jesus, he's the pod Gotti. He is Randy B in the place to be, number 83, say Shoda. Shoda. Uh Oh, and he's wearing all burgundy tonight. Uh Uh (laughs) Uh 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 Those burgundy killers. Hey, and over here to my- Burgundy sunset red so rise. (laughs) (laughs) And over here to my right, all the way from Babu Nine No Nine No Nine No, he is your favorite Indian, your hoe in one JCB. Say Shoda. I'll buy that for a dollar. Hey, hey, you can't buy too much with a dollar today, but <laughs> all right, that's the going rate right now. And across the way from me tonight, special guest in the house. Charlene Sleeper, a.k.a. Charlie, a.k.a. MMIW, MMIP, coordinator, organizer, awareness raiser. And all around champ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Two time co champion. A.k.a. <laughs> CS Sleeper. A.k.a. <laughs> CCR facilitator. <laughs> hey, say what's up. Hello. <laughs> Hey, and you, hey, 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 what 
Wichita, Wichita. Hey, and you know me, Mo Hugs, not drugs, all the way from up the road in Arrow Creek. Oh. <laughs> Where that pave is not road. Oh. Words the man. One time, uh, my brother used to live right there at the end of the pavement up the road. And then my parents' house is like a mile That's from hard. yeah the road. Or no, from there it's probably about three fourths of a mile from where the pavement ends to the house. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I was drunk. I didn't have any shoes on. We got into an argument, and I took off on that gravel road, no shoes on. Ran all the way to my parents' house. Holy smokes! <laughs> <laughs> no phase, huh? Yeah, man. It's like. Just felt sacred from like the old ones <laughs> running barefoot. <laughs> I was in the dark too. I don't even know. How I found my way. Why is he running so slow? Guys, <laughs> I didn't run into that creek. It felt like you were running for the stronghold. Huh? I was probably just like walking, <laughs> stepping on rocks. <laughs> Thought I was running. In your mind, why you is he walking out? so slow for? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny. Uh so here we got a. Charlene in the house, we're going to talk about some MMIP um, stuff here in a bit in the main topic. But right now, I got some icebreakers for us. We got, I got a little game for us to do. Um, so I need your guys' undivided attention. Randy. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to say no names. <laughs> no names. Oh. Anonymity. 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 This guy. Oh, this guy. Okay, okay, so we've done this one in the past. Bringing it back. It's been about a year. So on the count of three, we're all going to start laughing. Okay? <laughs> so, no, on the count of three. Not right now. <laughs> it's happened the last time. Right. So on the count of three, we're all going to start laughing. One, two, three. He said on three. <laughs> no, you know, maybe thinking out, it was like uh, this thing it was real or something. It said fake laugh until you actually laugh. So I was like, oh yeah, we used to do that. Count to three and laugh. Ha 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 and we'll go around the horn four times. Hmm. With then you say a sentence or two to oh, add okay. to the story. Um, it's like choose your own adventure, Indian style. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, let's do. It's springtime, but it's snowing, mm. and you're on your way to Walmart. I was on my way to Walmart one spring morning as the snow began to fall. Oh, I don't like to be put on the spot like this. (laughs) 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 I was waiting for the uh, Met bus and realized I left my purse at home. 
And so I questioned myself, what do I even have a purse for? The only reason I have a purse is to keep my hot dogs in there. (laughs) 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 And the whole reason I was going to Walmart was to get some dogs. <laughs> this took an um, uncommon turn. Um, it does it. <laughs> so, so <laughs> I'm, I'm just imagining you guys standing there with a purse full of hot dogs for some reason. What are my friends about a name I need to come up for? And I was like, we should call it the Red Hot Dog Project because hot dogs are sacred. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're sacred. They are. <laughs> I was really disappointed in myself for forgetting my sacred hot dog bag. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, okay. I was like, I thought you were still... Anyway. So, I decided to turn around and go after my cigarette hot dog bag because I really needed it. And I was was downtown, but a pack of res dogs started approaching me. And all they grabbed was my sack of red weenies. (laughs) (laughs) Where does that come from? (laughs) (laughs) so i threw the hot dog bag (laughs) and left it behind um as as i ran down the street and uh prayed for my life because that's terrifying (laughs) and i said hey you damn dog i'll be back for my hot dog (laughs) you damn dog eaters (laughs) And I I ran into the library To look up a hot dog recipe (laughs) And I couldn't find any (laughs) I was real sad (laughs) So I decided to eat them like soup Still in the water (laughs) And the broth was my tears Because I couldn't stop crying (laughs) But it was too salty (laughs) But I ate them anyway. <laughs> but I didn't have any mustard. <laughs> so I ate them plain. <laughs> Still crying. Still crying. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good, eh? Hey? Okay. I think we actually had some four rounds. Ah ah I think I think if you go back, like ninety nine percent of our stories have hot dogs in them. What is it about them? I don't know. I don't know. They're just like they're amazing. Sacred. They're like sacred. you say, oh, you already said it. They're sacred. Yeah, <laughs> and not those cheap ones. It was ninety nine cent for six of them. You got to get the the the, <laughs> the red weenie. <laughs> <laughs> so the ones with those, that are wrapped and strapped. Yeah, those the ones the big red weenies. Do you guys leave the casing on or off? I thought you were supposed to leave it on, right? Because I've been eating it. <laughs> no, I'm saying I, leave it I on. cut them down the middle and fry them up. Yeah, huh. I'll eat the I'll eat the. Yeah, they're black on them. Are you supposed to eat it? I don't know. I mean, it's edible. Yeah, Is it? I mean, okay. not that kind of edible, but 
Uh, no, uh, my grandma, he, my color, <laughs> she used to take that casing off because she was scared we'd choke on it um. when we were little. So mm-hmm. I always take it off. No, I, I mean, like I have, well, but then traditionally I don't always. And historically. Don't <laughs> traditionally, our people always. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't even chew. <laughs> once the, so the casing was they, an afterthought. Yeah. <laughs> They were all connected. <laughs> they were all connected. <laughs> Only the strongest warriors can do that. No. No, I was kidding. I want to hear that intro again, man. I'm, I'm hooked on that intro. You can add listen to the episode again. I know. I can't wait to. Oh. Yeah. What? I mean, nothing. I. I, I oh, I thought you had something. Oh no! I was gonna say, uh, what was I gonna say? Yeah. Well, must have been a lie. I forgot. <laughs> yeah, must have been a lie. <laughs> he got too excited. Yeah. and forgot. Yeah, that that happens. <laughs> oh yeah, and then oh man, <laughs> chased <him. laughs> this guy cracked his joke and started looking at you. <laughs> I try to keep laughing. <laughs> 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 you can go oh, and you go. <laughs> Why do we do that then when we laugh and then we look at somebody and we go yeah. we want them to laugh? We're looking for approval. I know. I need you to validate me. And you failed miserably. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't validate your joke there. I was laughing on the inside. If anything. If anything. If anything. That's where I was laughing. Um. So yeah, we're here in the studio. Things are looking up. Studio One A. Studio One A. So I hope it gets a little warmer. Uh yeah. It'll, I'm just enjoying this. The cold. weather. This is like the last hoorah of winter. We're in third winter right now. Uh, we've had two fall springs. Um. So the next one will be for real spring, hopefully. For real, for real. Third time's a charm. Third time's a charm. I know. Did you even go golfing last year? Like what? Couple of times. Uh, well, during pandemic, man, we were going a lot. Yeah, you were there like almost every day. I mean, I go around that thing like twice in one day. Dang. Oh, I think I'll go because like that that year I had that pandemic um, money. Yeah, and I got the membership, so I could just go as many R3? times as I want. Yeah. Dang, those ducks probably knew who you were. Don't <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, I seen that eagle over there. Here comes that native again. Can't shoot for here shit. Comes that, here comes Never that hits Indian. the eagle. Here comes, here comes your favorite Indian. Your so-called favorite Indian. Let's go Never stand behind this eagle. tree. Let's heckle him. <laughs> he hit Bert last week. Oh. Get behind this tree. <laughs> hit Bert right in the wing. He still, he still ain't right. He still walks around in a circle. Remember that one was going to karate chop you? Yeah. No, remember that one I almost took out? That sunflower saved it, remember? <laughs> man, I was teeing off. And I, man, I sliced the crap out of it. And that oh, ball was going me. right for that duck. And, man, that, if that sunflower wasn't there, I probably would have killed that sucker, man. Oh. Matt, was, like, right at his head, too. Hit that sunflower. Boom. And just dropped. What'd the bird do? It just sat there, right? 
Just no didn't even know what you were saying. He was sitting there. This guy. He was sitting there. He's like, these motherfuckers. These motherfuckers over here. These motherfuckers can't even go. They should go back to their teepee. Shots fired. Hey, F you, duck. I'm talking smack. But anyway, yeah, I did see an eagle in that tree over there. You're lucky I smudged this morning, duck. Oh, yeah, you uh, go. Did I show you, send you that picture? Uh, it was early spring because, like, I know the leaves weren't even on the trees yet. Oh, for real? Yeah, uh, it was just sitting there. And, it was and the leaves weren't on the trees. Oh, baby. But the <laughs> your clothes showed his but face. But there was a mistletoe. <laughs> what? <laughs> Somebody just wants a smooch. <laughs> But this mistletoe was for hickeys. <laughs> it was the mis- the hickey mistletoe. Ha. <laughs> <laughs> huh. oh, oh. oh, all righty, all right, all right, all right. You guys feeling warmed up? I think we're warmed up, man. Yes, sir. Charlie, you warmed up? Oh, yes. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So we'll get into our main topic now. TJ. If you're ready, why don't you hit me with that beat? Yo, let's get into our topic. Yo, let's get into our topic. All right, all right, all right, all right. What's cooler than cool? Ice cold. Yes, sir. All right, we got Charlene sleep. The other side of the pillow. (laughs) (laughs) The freezer. (laughs) Antarctica. (laughs) Your ex's heart. Ouch. I didn't say any names. It could be any one of them. It could be any one of them. (laughs) Oh, you you know who it was. (laughs) You know who it was. Uh, yeah, right, you know dude. what she did to me. <laughs> Anonymity, man. Come on. <laughs> Everybody else knows too. <laughs> Even your daddy knows. <laughs> Yo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just caught up with that. <laughs> uh, okay, here we go. <laughs> Charlene Sleeper is Absaluga in Southern Cheyenne and Arapaho. She's a student at MSUB majoring in human services with a minor in criminal justice. Charlene has been an, an MM, MMIP advocate in southeastern Montana since 2018 and is the lead MMIP community organizer for this side of the state. She owns MMIP Bellings LLC, which offers MMIP consulting is currently developing a pilot domestic violence project which focuses on MMIP prevention. Uh-hoo. Welcome, welcome. Uh-hoo. Thank Clap you for hands. having me. Clap hands. <laughs> Yay! Uh-hoo. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Sorry, our, our studio audience takes a while to catch up. I know. <laughs> They're kind of slow. They're really slow. So, no, we're honored that you're here. Thank you for coming in and accepting the invitation to do to be on the podcast. 
and you're in the hot seat now. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, And yes. then <laughs> afterwards, once we're done with these questions, uh, then you can have the floor. You can ask us a few questions, and then we'll close out the episode. Oh, wonderful. So with that, I'm going to throw it over here to your favorite Indian. Take it away. Hey. So, Charlene, <laughs> where shall we begin? <laughs> How about? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so, um, okay, well, why don't you just. Tell us a little bit about yourself first and foremost, and we'll, okay. I mean, aside from what we heard from the introduction. Oh, okay. If there's anything you'd like to add, or anything I'd like to add, well, um, thank you for having me here with you tonight. I am really honored to be working with you as far as raising awareness for missing and murdered Indigenous peoples on your particular platform. Um, <clears throat> it's definitely important to continue having these conversations and having as many community leaders behind this particular movement as possible. So um, thank all of you for, for allowing me this space. Um, as far as myself goes, it was kind of <laughs> summarized um, a little bit in the introduction, but um, gee, I don't even know what to tell everybody about myself. I, I do artwork. I'm a poet. I've um, been a human rights activist since 2004. Um, I've done activist work for uh, not only indigenous rights issues, but uh, Black Lives Matter, um, let's see, reproductive rights, LGBTQ rights. It wasn't until 2018 that I started taking a focus on uh, missing and murdered indigenous peoples just because all of those things uh, kind of rolled up into um, what MMIP is. So there's that. Um, but yeah, I, I guess... I could kind of does that good enough? No, yeah, that's that's fine. That's that's great. I mean, uh, um, so for people that don't know, or you know, that might be new to it, or maybe even don't aren't exactly sure what it is that you do. What is the MMIP movement? How would you define that? How I would define that is the MMIP movement originally started out of Canada, um, and it was under the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls uh, activism that started taking place in the 1980s. And so it originally started with Canadian First Nation tribes, uh, more specifically the Matisse tribes up there. Um, in 2000, I think it was 2005, uh, there was a lot of work that was done within the Canadian government um, as far as kind of trying to resolve their conflict with Indigenous First Nations up there. Um, as part of the Blackwater versus Plint lawsuit, the 2007 Indian Residential Schools $2 billion settlement agreement um, that the uh, Canadian government formed the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in 2008. Uh, this particular commission had a call to action. It was number 41. There's a number of calls to action. Um, what it did is it launched a key Canadian government initiative to end the disproportionately high levels of violence faced by Indigenous women and girls. So a lot of the energy, the activism energy, tends to translate over to the United States because we have a lot of um, dual citizens in Montana that are Indigenous. So we'll have American, Canadian uh, people that live here in Montana. So, for instance, we had Idle No More move down to Montana, um, and then we had a couple of other different, like, uh, Indigenous First Nation activism projects kind of travel down, including things like the KXL pipeline, stuff like that. So MMIP originated in Canada. When it came to Montana, I noticed that there was a lot of movement on the other side of the state um, with the Germain um, 
Charlo case under Claire Charlo, who's an activist, and she's one of my good friends. Um, and then, uh, who was it? Ashley Loring Heavy Runner was also another uh, MMIP case from that side of the state that got a lot of traction as far as awareness. So in 2018, the uh, Montana Women's March um, organizers decided to put at the forefront the MMIW movement. And so they had a lot of speakers come in and discuss kind of what was going on with that. Uh, one of those speakers was Marcy McLean Pollock, who at that time was under Western Native Voice. And then there was a lot of other uh local, I want to say, activists that were involved with that particular march in 2018. Um, And I think their original idea was just to kind of raise awareness um, at that time. Um, Unfortunately, in 2018, we lost Northern Cheyenne, Henny Scott, um, in Northern Cheyenne country. And that's kind of when it took root in southeastern Montana. So I work predominantly in southeastern Montana, with our particular regional uh, missing and, and missing persons and homicide cases um, with Henny Scott, she, you know, had unfortunately had gone missing after a house party um, that seemed to that particular case, because of how well ingrained she was in the community, um, seemed to ignite a lot of, I want to say, community action to raise awareness in our region. So it, it kind of started with her case. So you, you kind of. I mean, well, first off, I mean, like before they had that imaginary line that separated this continent to different countries, those are our relatives up there, right? Correct. So, I mean, a lot of, and I, it's crazy because some people think that Canadians are really nice, but their treatment of indigenous people up there has been historically just as bad as this country. Agreed. So, I mean, that just, I just had to throw that out there. Shots fired, boom. But uh, you you already kind of touched on my next question, and you can elaborate a little bit more. So, what is what is the Montana MMIP movement? Montana, in and of itself, is is interesting in respects to how it's chosen to address the MMIP movement. Fortunately, we um, have an attorney general who formed the Missing Indigenous Persons Task Force to address uh, the issues in terms of um, kind of the state response. I believe that was Attorney Fox at that time when it was initially formed back in 2019, I want to say. Um, so Montana's actually been really proactive, albeit, you know, we're a cowboy versus Indian state. Um, the cowboys have been really proactive in trying to create opportunities for systemic improvements when it comes to their responsibility to serve all communities in Montana, um, especially indigenous communities. I I don't know that they really had a clear insight into exactly what we were contending with on reservation, but I feel like this particular movement has um, kind of illuminated them to where they're taking the approach that they want to create solutions as opposed to creating more barriers. So the Montana specific MMIP movement is a lot less, um, I want to say, radical and incendiary, and it's more collaborative, which is something that you don't see often happen between activists and political figures. Mm. So it's, it's unique in that sense. Um, and then we have a lot of cross-tribal collaborations taking place and tribal collaborations within their own communities taking place to 
um, address the issue based on what their specific tribal needs are. So each nation being its own, you know, kind of organism, it, they're basing it on what it is their community needs, as opposed to allowing people come in and tell them what they need to do to prevent MMIP cases from happening. So there's basically there's there's just different levels and different aspects of it that's Correct. all coming together and um I like that how you said uh non incendiary or mm-hmm. so I think that goes a long way I mean cuz we all know we can kick and scream but we also know that that there's a tendency for people not to listen to that right like yeah. it's kind of, it's almost easy to tune that out um but anyway I'll pass it on to. Yeah, uh, um, I heard you use the word incendiary, and for those uh, for those of them, uh, our listeners that don't understand the word incendiary, can you explain that? What for is the it? <laughs> <laughs> say, it, say it again. How do you say that? Incendiary. <laughs> incendiary. How did you guys say it? <laughs> Man, you got me all messed up. I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Now. on your phone. <laughs> That's what I was trying to look up, man. It's Incendiary, like, it's yeah. like when you throw um, gas on a flame. <laughs> okay, that's what I was trying to look up. Like, <laughs> Great, no, question. <laughs> Great, Great question. Great question, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, Show but, uh, what they're going to win. <laughs> Tell him what he's won, Bob. <laughs> I mean, thank you, thank you, though, for um, really coming on our, our our platform and and sharing everything about your movement. My question is: What are some of the main variables that contribute to the crisis? Um, from my research in the past, oh gosh, it's been five years now. Wow. Um, the number one contributing variable to creating the phenomenon. Um, which leads to either a homicide or a missing person case is childhood trauma. Mm. And childhood trauma, what that does to a developing child is it stunts their ability to navigate the world. Um, And so that's where you see, you know, gaps in not only learning, but um, kind of maladaptive coping skills, things like that. And so, when you experience childhood trauma, a lot of people, what ends up happening, and this is going to be cross-cultural, it's, it, this isn't just indigenous community um, specific, any child that goes through a significant amount of childhood trauma and abuse more likely develops mental health problems, which are one of the variables as well. They more likely develop substance abuse issues. Mm-hmm. So substance abuse issues is number two. Okay, and how would you, um, how much of that plays a factor in the MMIP cases, uh, substance abuse? Substance abuse, more often than not, alcohol is a variable. Um, Whenever you have, the data proves that more often than not as well, with intimate partner uh, family violence, it is a male perpetrator with a female victim. Um, a lot of times alcohol is a contributing factor to the conflict that is happening within this domestic violence situation. Um, we all know, scientifically speaking, that alcohol alters your ability to not only think clearly, but to control your, your decisions. Um, so it is probably right next to, I want to say, if not methamphetamines than definitely uh marijuana and um 
uh, fentanyl and opiates. So substance abuse is a huge contributing factor, alcohol being number one. Mm, mm, mm. <clears throat> yeah, I don't think that's far-fetched at all. Uh, I could see it even not even being heavily involved in the movement, but I could see how substance abuse, addiction issues um, could contribute to these MMIP cases. <clears throat> um, so how does domestic violence play a role in MMIP cases? That kind of um, it goes into the whole uh, childhood abuse, uh, childhood trauma thing. Um, when a child is coming from a home that has uh, neglect and abuse happening, they're experiencing domestic violence from their parents. That's just domestic violence being the umbrella term. So you yeah. can have that. Um, you can have the child that's affected. You have anybody living in the home affected. Mm. And then you have like the, the breadwinner and the homemaker affected. Um, so domestic violence, you know, is one of the main contributing factors in terms of creating these situations. So not only does it contribute to uh, the creation of MMIP cases, because a lot of times, when it comes to homicides, you have, you know, intimate partners um, it, murdering one another because mm -hmm. of whatever be, you know, the reason, be it jealousy or other issues of control. Um, you have parents sometimes murdering children mm. uh, for whatever reason. Uh, one good case uh, of that particular um, type of, uh, I want to say, homicide was Antonio Renova. Antonio Renova was uh, returned to his parents, his biological parents, um, after the foster parents had wanted to adopt him. Um, and unfortunately, that decision to return him to his biological parents ended his life because his his own parents, you know, had beaten him to death, mm. uh, essentially, this, this five-year-old child. Um, so that's domestic violence. People, people, I don't know, understand quite clearly the umbrella term that domestic violence covers. It, it includes children. It can include um, like a home um, or the breadwinner or the, the homemaker abusing an elderly person, too. Yeah. So it's not necessarily just intimate partner violence. It could be violence against anybody in the home. Wow. <clears throat> Yeah, thanks for defining that piece because <clears throat> I wouldn't have thought of that otherwise. Mm -mm. Um, <clears throat> so I know you're, you're boots on the ground. Like you're there, um, someone goes missing and your boots on the ground, you jump on, like you're there with the police and you're communicating with them. Um, <clears throat> so in that aspect, so you're heavily involved with the families as well. Correct. Correct. So uh, how does the like MMIP affect families and communities? The um, biggest thing that causes is is the crisis. That's that's what the crisis is. It's the impact on the community. It's the impact on the families. It's the impact on the professionals within that community. Um, that's like the red flag going up. So when mm -hmm. you have someone come up missing or you have a homicide happen, you know, which is sometimes labeled as a suspicious death to begin with, mm -hmm. um, you that's the crisis point. That's the red flag. Um, so immediately it's a trauma. It doesn't matter who's involved with it. Anybody that comes, be it a police officer, be it an EMT, be it um, a CPS worker or um, the family itself um, or, 
you know, the, the survivor, because granted, you know, there's survivors sometimes within the vicinity of, of the actual, like, violent altercation. Anybody that's within kind of the um, ground zero of that crisis going off is impacted by um, the homicide or the missing person case. So the initial, like, kind of jolt of the, I want to say the the energy that goes into the crisis is traumatic it you you there's like every time i go into a case yeah every time the community hears about a case there's instant what's called secondary trauma Mm. um Mm -hmm. there's all kinds of different forms of trauma that happen um and then um it it definitely impacts resources and resource availability. Mm-hmm. So for instance, with law enforcement, you know, they have to allocate so many resources to solve the homicide or to try and locate the person. And then you have the family that's impacted with burial costs, um, trying to, if there's a child involved, like the parent is unfortunately murdered, um, there's the costs of now raising that child. So there's there's all of these different little components that go into the, the effect of MMIP on communities. And this isn't the case for just indigenous communities. This is the way that it works for all communities. Um, this is just from the perspective of um, an indigenous leader in indigenous cases. So, so <clears throat> I know you've been on several like search parties, been involved with when somebody goes missing, you're kind of, like I said, your boots on the ground. <clears throat> in a perfect world, how, what, what would you see, like, the protocol, like, from when you, that person goes missing, then what should the family do? What should law enforcement do? What should search parties Ooh, do? That's like, a loaded <clears throat> one. <laughs> I know. So that's what I do. Okay. Take your time. We got time. Okay. Um, so, like, perfect what would, protocol. What would you do? Like, like what would you feel like is a proper steps to take and like and then as opposed to what happens yeah what happens is not acceptable yeah um so thank you for asking that question it is a loaded question Mm -hmm. um if there is one thing that i would like people to take from this particular podcast um it is the absolute fact that there is no such thing as a 24-hour wait period the second that you have a concern that somebody is missing or has been a victim of homicide, um, you know, and has, you know, has been concealed as far as their body goes, um, report that to your local law enforcement agency and do not take no for an answer. There is no reason why a local law enforcement agency does not put in a missing person's report immediately. They may tell you that it, they have to wait 24 hours. That is actually infactual. Sometimes mm. a law enforcement agency has kind of a house rule. However, that house rule is not backed by any federal or state or local policy. Mm. So the second any law enforcement refuses you the ability to put in a missing persons report, report it directly to the FBI. Mm. because and you can do this online you can go to the fbi website and put in fbi tips um it's the fbi tip form you can call a phone number i don't know that phone number right off the top of my head i'll look for it here in a moment um what that does is it 
it routes it to the FBI. The FBI then takes that report and gives it directly to the law enforcement agency that is supposed to be investigating that particular crime based on its jurisdiction. So what that means is that the FBI is aware that their local law enforcement agency has been made aware of this particular case. And if it needs to, like it often does need to on reservation lands because we are under federal jurisdiction, um, the FBI can be requested to assist with that. So there's been times here in Billings – I haven't yet seen an issue of Billings Police Department not taking a missing persons report seriously. If someone's aware of one that I don't know about, please feel free to reach out to me and let me know, and I'll correct that statement. But um, with, uh, I want to say, Crow Police Department, that was actually the one that elevated Henny Scott's uh, missing persons report because – it was they didn't want to do it down in northern Cheyenne country. So Paula Stops had originally gone to northern Cheyenne um, law enforcement to report Henny Scott missing, and they refused to do the report. So she had to go over to Crow Country and run it through that way, and that's the way that everything was taken care of. So I don't care which agency you're talking to. If they refuse to take your missing persons report, you fight them and you take it directly to the FBI. Mm. That is um, something that I would like to get corrected because a lot of law enforcement agencies in and of themselves still have that house belief that a person needs to wait 24 to 72 hours. Um, the the sad reality is, is the more time that you wait to report somebody missing, um, the least likely we are to find them. We have ideally in ideal weather conditions, um, Montana being, you know, freaking subarctic, you know, Antarctica at times. Um, it, we can have maybe a response time of, of possibly an hour if it's really cold out. So mm. we need to know immediately when a person goes missing. Um, in ideal weather conditions, we have 48 hours to locate somebody alive. Mm-hmm. So the the goal for any search and rescue is to locate the person alive and safe. I'm going to go on about this forever. So protocol one is getting that report in because a lot of agencies can't do anything without an official report. So it's to have that family that's reporting um, make sure that they stay on top of that. Um, and then the other ideal situation is that that law enforcement agency takes that report seriously and launches its resources to locate the individual or to locate suspects in a homicide or suspicious death. So if they have the capacity to do that, and some um, agencies work below <coughs> capacity because of funding issues, mm-hmm. um, my ideal situation would be they would launch all resources and get, you know, either a a human trafficker off of the streets or, um, you know, a murderer off of the streets. So in a perfect world, the protocol would go as it's written within law enforcement. But that's not always the case. Mm. And then, yeah, just like from your own experience, it's kind of always just hit or miss if law enforcement's going to jump right in and then if the community is going to respond and help. Yeah, um... There's an issue with uh, runaways in the state of Montana where 
sometimes parents that can't keep control over their teenage children will utilize the runaway reporting system in a way to try and get their child home because their child has decided to either go live with someone else or has taken off with a boyfriend or girlfriend, things like that. So they use it kind of as a parenting tool. And, and and that's kind of what's contributing to our high runaway um, issue in Montana. But because that happens, it's kind of a cry-wolf situation, and it's created a cry-wolf situation. Um, the law enforcement agencies in Montana often don't know which cases, when it comes to that age range, to take seriously. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes those kids are only gone for the length of a powwow. You know, which is three days. Oh, yeah. Sometimes that kid's decided to leave grandma's house and go over to auntie's house and doesn't want to go back to grandma's because grandma's being mean mm. or, you know, something of that situation. And so we have a cry wolf situation with the runaway issue that we're trying to address. Um, but that's also contributed to the fact that sometimes law enforcement agencies aren't taking those serious because it's if we were to dispatch resources on every single runaway case. We would be spending a lot of money, basically, is what that comes down to. Yeah. So it just comes down to, like, really gauging the seriousness of it, Mm -hmm. the circumstances leading up to the disappearance, um, really having a good kind of background. Well, and then parents need to, this is kind of on parents, um, parents really need to be mindful that when they are misusing resources, that it's taking away from other people that need it True. when the time is there. So, I mean, law enforcement sometimes um, is limited in its ability to activate resources because of those situations that have been created from misuse by the public, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but then there are those times with like case air stops pretty place when she went missing, she was unfortunately gone for far too long. Um, this particular case really pisses me off because her particular situation had extenuating circumstances that I feel should have been investigated by the FBI. Um, and I'm gonna get really mad. Um, a child that age should never be out, um, I want to say deceased in a yard the way that she was left to where she was unrecognizable. Mm. And then unfortunately her particular case, the County coroner forced a um, cremation that should have never happened. There were so many leadership fails in case stops pretty places case that it really makes me angry with the law enforcement in that area. And, the status of that case, which, I mean, we will never know what happened to Sarah because of how her case was handled and the fact that it wasn't treated like a suspicious death. Like, it's strange. The, she ran off from a house party. You know, she may have been inebriated. How a child runs through a backyard and ends up dead, I have no clue. Mm. I don't know how she just dropped dead in the backyard next to the house that she was found at, um, found to be partying at. Um, anybody should want answers as far as that case goes. And then yeah. the way that it was mishandled. I'm going to get real mad. <laughs> yeah. I do. I do. No, I think that, yeah, just a little bit that you've shared with us kind of stirs up something in me that that there's no justice there. There Definitely. really wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So moving along with the next question, what do we need to do to address MMIP? There's a lot that can be done. MMIP actually has a lot of people that are out there working towards um, solution seeking and prevention. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to like, for instance, Unspoken Words podcast is an excellent MMIP prevention resource in that it advocates for sobriety and recovery. That's kind of mm-hmm. the, the the fact that you guys are even willing to take on the work that it takes to uh, fund a podcast, get donations, do the marketing for it, things like that. And then you speak to indigenous issues um, that impact men, especially. Um, that's kind of one area that we need a lot of assistance with. Uh, this kind of goes back to the original design of what the MMI um, WG movement was is we were focused mainly on women and girls mm-hmm. and we didn't focused on men enough. And that was kind of an area of contention for myself and a lot of, I want to say Billings based MMIW advocates. They felt like the men, indigenous men needed to start their own movement and that they couldn't be part of the MMIWG movement. And I have to laugh at that because I'm like, okay, one thing <laughs> Indigenous people are is we're tribal. And we think in context of family. So if you remove the males from, you know, our healing work, which is what MMIP is, is it's healing work, um, you're only addressing half of the issue. And so I actually got a lot of flack for uh, advocating for men. I remember I had gone up to Josiah after one of our uh, cross-community reconciliation project uh, meetings, and I was like, you, I remember you looked at me, your eyes got all big because I kind of came up like kind of like, I don't know, I just have a lot of energy. And I was like, came I don't up all gangster. I came up all gangster like I do. <laughs> and I was like, Josiah, <clears throat> I don't know how to work with indigenous men. And he was like, I don't, I don't know. He didn't even know how to respond to me. And I was like, shit, I think I blew that. (laughs) It's like, you just came at me mid-conversation. There's a conversation going on in your head. And you came at me (laughs) mid-conversation. And I was like, whoa, I need some context here. (laughs) I need some context. We figured it out. We figured it out. But yeah, like that's part of the reason why I wanted to do the Unspoken Words podcast because I've been so impressed with what you've been able to accomplish with this podcast and the fact that you're willing to build the type of community that um, in partnerships that um, begin to address the many variables of what MMIP is. So um, that's kind of one of it. One thing of it is, is leaders working together within their areas of expertise to build kind of resource and support networks for each other as opposed to what we currently deal with within certain communities, which is lateral violence. Um, Mm. I deal with a lot of that in the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Peoples Movement because of whatever causes it. I I can't really speak to all of it, but the lateral violence that we experience and commit against each other in Indigenous communities is actually kneecapping any kind of work that – we can get done to prevent a lot of these MMIP issues that we run into. Um, So it would be not only that, but um, continuing to support sobriety and recovery because alcohol is the main contributing factor to a lot of these cases. Mm. Um, 
creating short and long term, I want to say trauma resources, be it mental health, be it support groups like White Eagle Talking Circle. I know that that has a grief support group. Um, let's see. Um, and then opening, you know, I, I really feel like tribes in and of themselves need to revisit their own ceremonies and start doing their own ceremonies as far as grief processing. Because childhood trauma is one of the contributing factors, but the inability to healthily process grief and loss in tribal communities right now is also what's leading to substance abuse and um, I want to say mental health issues. Yeah. And I think that all those things are just kind of tying to a theme that's been going on here on Unspoken Words the past few weeks is that we're always coming to this point where we're talking about healing. Mm-hmm. We need to heal as a people mm-hmm. uh, because, <clears throat> you know, the old story of like the, there's like some sisters and they see babies floating down the river. One goes in and starts grabbing them. The other one helps. And then the other one's like walking away. They're like, what are you doing? You need to help us. And she's like, I'm going to go up there and see why they're falling in. So I think that's where exactly we need to go is we need to go upstream figure Mm -hmm. out the problem of why this is happening and then address that and that is you know the substance abuse the lack of proper coping skills the lack of um, Mm -hmm. parenting classes Mm -hmm. the lack of um, respect in a lot of areas Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that great healing needs to happen I mean Mm -hmm. needs to start and that's where it starts you know and I always, when I was an addiction counselor, I always encouraged my clients to journal. I said, yeah. I'd give them a notebook and a pen. And I said, this is your journaling notebook and your journaling pen. Journal. Talk about your feelings. Yeah, because that's what journaling is. You just talk about your feelings. It's a safe space to express yourself. And then when you're done, you can tear it up, tear it out, you rip it up, throw no it away. Yep. You don't got to tell nobody. But... Nope. What that does is gets that out. Mm-hmm. You get to get that out in a safe space without any judgment. Amen. That's um, kind of one of the big things too. And um, I've seen a lot of people do TikTok too. I think TikTok's been kind of therapeutic for some because. Oh, yeah. I mean, granted, it's a public platform, and like sometimes you shouldn't put things on and stuff. public platforms like that, but. For some people, it's been really kind of like healing for them, too. So that's a way, too, if you want to go that route. But journaling, definitely, for sure. Like when you say they use TikTok, like they just kind of vent on TikTok? Yeah, they vent or they share um, kind of their healing stories or um, they come back and they'll kind of give you... It's kind of a mix sometimes where they go, they'll go through and talk about different like self-care strategies, coping strategies, um projects that they're working on i've seen various things but um i wouldn't say venting i, I think i see a lot of like trauma trying to understand childhood trauma trying mm. to understand how trauma impacted your life and um or sobriety stories there's a lot of recovery and sobriety stories on tiktok too so that that, that could be i mean that's to me that would be a good thing because we don't know what we don't know and one of the <gasps> things that we don't know is those coping skills or those things that, you know, how do I talk about this? What do I say? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I, I feel cause like, um, you know, in the beginning when we were doing this, 
and and I think I these guys are kind of on board with the same thing. It was really hard. Mm-hmm. It's hard to put yourself out there like that. Mm-hmm. But in and in that in that process, not only is it therapeutic to a person, but I think we give other other people permission to you know start walking down that road. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, and I think you know like what you guys were talking about too is like you know what what are what are these underlying things? Because like I've always said that you know m- my problem wasn't that I drank and used drugs. That was a symptom of things, mm-hmm. right? Like there was underlying things, core beliefs, things that I picked up without even realizing it like on a subconscious level Mm -hmm. like we're not even aware of some of these Mm -mm. things Mm -mm. and so you know to 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 get there to dig into the roots and heal those roots and i really love what you said about going back to the culture because that's what i did Mm -hmm. that's how i you know and, and everything you know um one person walk isn't gonna be the same as the next person but we can always get those ideas we can always get the uh the motivation, that 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 sort of a permission to do the same, mm-hmm. and so I think you know a lot of that as you know people coming out and saying, okay, this is what I struggle with, this is what how I feel, because you know they we I don't think we we talk about that right, like it's not something that we discuss <gasps> easily, Mm-mm. and because it's hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's hard, especially if you're you're not used to it or you don't know what you're, in a sense, don't know what you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. So, I think any kind of uh, platform, any kind of uh, journaling or meditation or mindfulness, prayer, ceremonies, all of that put together, any combination of the th- there. I mean, I think it, it, you just gotta you gotta go out there, you gotta try it, you gotta put you know. Um, put it into action. Yeah. Other, get, getting out of the comfort zone. Is get it, yeah, well, that's because that's exactly what it is. We're comfortable with what we know, even though that might be misery, mm-hmm. right? Like, I know what this feels like. I know what it is to be miserable. I don't know what it is like that on the other side. Mm. So I'm not even going to go over there. Like, I have to talk about my feelings. Are you kidding me? Look, <laughs> there's two grown men in here. I ain't going to say nothing about how I feel. I you know what right. I mean? Like, or there's a lady present. I can't make myself look weak. Or, you know, know. And these are just these false core beliefs that are just so ingrained in a lot of people that it's just, it's such a roadblock. Mm-hmm. So we have to dig up. You got to dig deep, right? You can put a Ew. cap on your tooth, but if the, you got a root canal, it's never going to heal. Amen. Mm-hmm. Pod Gotti. Ditto, ditto. <laughs> mm. Ditto? What? 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 Oh, no, I, 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 no, I didn't have any follow-up oh. on that. <laughs> no. no, just on anything. Did you have any further I mean, questions? Or? I, I know, like, yeah, thank you for really what you're doing because I know, uh, was it during the fall when you put out a couple of those things and they were found pretty... They were pretty quickly right there on social media, uh, with the whole MMIP. Uh, we had a couple. Are you are you referring to specific cases? Yeah, like was that about a year ago? Oh, I do that all the time. So okay. you would have to give me a case name. So man, I forget the names, but this there's was... a lot, and that's the sad. So part. when did you officially launch your um, MMIP movement? Um, I myself didn't launch it. Uh, no, the one that you're that the I'm one, doing. Yeah, the one that you're doing. The MMIP Billings LLC originally launched in 2020. 
Mm. Um, and that was kind of more or less a development phase to see exactly. And this is what I recommend anybody going into the movement um, do is I went through and did um, what are called field observations. And so I went um, I'm from Hardin. I graduated from yeah. Hardin High School um, and that's kind of ground zero for me. And it's a ground zero for the movement because, uh, you know, we were suffering the yeah. uh, rates of homicide missing persons uh, the most within the country um, out of Bighorn County. So Bighorn County is probably one of the, I want to say, top three in terms of the United States when it comes to the crisis. So I had to kind of go through and figure out what it was the community needed based on what currently was happening and I started in northern Cheyenne country with Henny Scott's case in 2018-19. Moved on to KCR Stops Pretty Places case, um, Selena Notafraid's case, uh, Mildred Old Crow, Antonio Renova. And then I do I also do white culture cases. Yeah. So there was Lori Bray, Amelia Brooks, and Cohen Parker. Um, so in doing these field observations, I started noting what it was in terms of where there was communication issues, where there was a lack of resources, things like that. So a lot of the initial foundational work that I did was planning and development. Um, it wasn't until November 3rd, was it, that uh, um, I formally launched as a um, accessible kind of option here in Billings, Montana, um, I did kind of a grand opening over at the Billings Public Library to introduce the work and start making network connections that way because I knew that I needed to have my ducks in a row before I could handle the influx of interest because MMIP does have a lot of interest in it yeah. um, on a national level. Um, so I didn't like make myself available to the public until November 2022. Yeah. Okay. No, oh, that's that thing I sing it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Josiah, you need to come sing. He sings at everything. I know. Oh. I sing Garth Brooks. <laughs> he just made his appearance and left, though, so he didn't get to see any of the presentation. Typical cool rock star. Because yeah. I had to get here and record. It was on a Thursday, wasn't yeah, it? it was on yeah, a Thursday. I remember that. Yeah, he's like, yeah. I said, I got to sing at this gig real quick. Yeah, that that's a presentation I can do uh, whenever um, anybody wants me to do as far as kind of the history and strategies that I've been working on. So if anybody has that kind of like need as far as learning more expansive information in terms of Southeastern MMIP work, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a presentation I can give. Right on. No, I think you're doing some great work and, you know, you're just getting started as, as far as, you know, being an official organization. And we talked before we went on air, we're going to do a lot of collaboration down the road. And you guys will be hearing from Charmaine Sleeper some more down the road. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, son. But if they wanted to get Straight a hold of you. H-Town. H-Town, baby. Hey, go Bulldogs. They won today. H-Town, shut it down. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You, got, you got your You've hype, man. You've been so quiet tonight. No, fine. No, no, he's finally awake. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> So if someone wanted to get a hold of you, how, how would they go about doing that? Um, the only way to get a hold of me right now is through my email. Okay. And there's part of that is because I, I'm only one person working under my LLC, and so I have to be selective in um, 
the projects that I take on right now, but there is a lot of um, area of growth that I'm anticipating within the next couple of years. So uh, you can reach me at my email, which is mmipbillingsmt, as in Montana, at gmail.com. Right on, right on, right on. And then you're also available on Face page. Oh, yeah. Yep, right on. You can shoot her a message there as well. Thank you for coming on. You are officially off the hot seat. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> do you have any questions for us? Um, I guess one of the things that I would like to know is how to support indigenous males in this movement. Like, what do you need from leadership or other resources? Because... That's not a conversation I'm seeing a lot of people have. And I myself have gone through and have advocated for two indigenous males that were unfortunately victims of intimate partner family violence mm-hmm. um, and were murdered by their um, girlfriends, essentially. Mm. And so in kind of a prevention capacity, I need to understand what it is that's preventing indigenous males from reaching out for domestic violence resources or mm, any other kind of resource that they could use to get them to safety. I Does think, that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, okay. no, I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down. I think right away is knowing that domestic violence doesn't go, it's not a one-way street, that <clears throat> it's not just the males inflicting the physical violence or abuse that a female or another family can inflict it on another male or male to a male too. Yeah. You know that because I think of the example of like um, racism Mm -hmm. for a long time. I thought it was only like racism was white people against people of color. That's what I thought. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that I, that a brown person could be racist. I was like in my twenties. I was like, oh, snap. So that's racism. If those jokes that we cracked about white people, those are racist jokes. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, so just that education around that. I'm just using that racism as an example that the female can be abusive and that's that's what it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and, I think and that, part of it. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Me. Okay, I think part of it too is we're normalizing when Indigenous women are emotionally and verbally abusive to men. Yeah, like I'm just gonna say that now because sometimes I've watched Indigenous women completely, completely like demasculate and I want to say dehumanize and say some really highly abusive stuff that if a man had ever said that to me. Oh my gosh, there would hell hath no fury. I would never let a man speak that way. But I've seen indigenous men take emotional abuse, take verbal abuse, take physical abuse. <gasps> like I've seen <clears throat> memes going around about that where a man had been violently and viciously attacked by his partner and people were making fun of him. And he had like lacerations, he had bruising, he, you know, his lip was busted, his teeth yeah. were bloody. And people were laughing at this image. And I was like, how are we sitting here, you know, enabling one another to laugh at this particular image? And had that been a woman, oh my God, 
every law enforcement agency in the world would be getting a phone call about this particular image. Facebook would be notified that this image exists. Yeah. And yet here we as indigenous men and women are sitting here saying that this is funny. Like yeah. it's so it's such a double standard and it pisses me off. And then I start seeing the way that Indian, I'm just going to say it, Indian women speak to men sometimes where they're like talking down to men and it pisses me off. I sometimes want to go and smack the dude in the face myself, sorry, <laughs> and be like, don't take that shit from her. <laughs> but yeah. I'd end up beat up. So. <laughs> so you just cause more violence. I know. <laughs> violence begets violence. So, and that kind of brings me to what I, how I would answer your question is we need programming. We need programs. So we, well, I guess a better word for it would be reprogramming, mm-hmm. you know, based on what I was telling you earlier about these core beliefs, these underlying um, false uh, ideas that we have about everything, about what it is to be a man, about how it is to um, handle trauma, how it is to you know, um, react to somebody who's abusive to you, no matter who it is. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, cause there's, there's men on men violence too. That's a big, I mean, that's a huge thing too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I've seen it for no other reason other than, well, it's just dumb. Let's just say that we'll just leave it at that. But yeah, those, I think, you know, programs that are and culturally based too. Mm-hmm. Right, because we need something that we can identify with, and we have, and there's a lot of people. I noticed that they will say, "Oh, I'm, I'm proud to be indigenous. I'm proud to be absolute. I'm proud to be, you know, fill in the blank." Mm-hmm. And yet they don't practice those tenets that our ancestors believed in, that our elders tried to teach us. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's the fact that we weren't uh, taught these things, but for whatever reason. We switched tracks mm-hmm. and went down another way. And so I think, I mean, because I think that, that, that those, those culturally based programs um, that address, you know, I mean, it could be even specific too, but basically to reprogram us and unlearn what we have learned mm-hmm. and then learn the truth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then that way, I think, because you, like I always tell these guys, the root determines the fruit. So we have to get to the basis of the problem and then fix it from there. And it starts with the individual. Okay, what can I do to change? And then what can I do to help others to realize that change as well? Yeah. But I'll, I I never I, I never even thought about it. I never even knew it was a thing, obviously, because I was so in, in, ingrained in those false beliefs. But it wasn't until I was put into programs that, um, allowed me in a safe space to address those problems and try to figure them out, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so, I mean, to have a place to get that out and then to relearn something, mm-hmm. um, I think would go a long way. And, yeah. we, and we, and we, you know, we, we have treatment centers, uh, there's outpatient treatments and those are great. I mean, I, I'm not trying to knock those, but I think we need a little bit more. Like you have to, we have to dig deeper. We have to, um, as individuals first, and then you know, as 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 a, as a people, as a community, you know, indigenous people. I think we have to really, really, really dig deep mm-hmm. because if we do not remove all the cancer, it will come back. So we need those chemotherapy 
type thing, you know, just kind of like he did. You're just using an example, mm-hmm. right? So I think those programs, like like available programs, and if they are out there that that they do exist, I guarantee you that not too many people know about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, like getting that awareness out, mm-hmm. because I know I know for a fact that there are people like you who are out there, boots on the ground, like these two individuals, boots on the ground, out there actually working with individuals, and yet. We, we don't really know all the resources that are available to us. And then I think we could probably do better in that part, in that department. Yeah. 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 No, I think, like, especially uh, as a man, society as a whole, not just Indian country, doesn't really have resources available for men, right? Like, so, like, as a single father, like, man, I remember when I was trying to get wick. Because, like, I lost my business. I lost, like, everything, man. I was down in the dumps, and there was really nowhere I could go. I actually went mm-hmm. to HRDC, and they couldn't help me because at the time I made $73 over the limit. You're like, kidding. I've always, yeah, like, I've always made, like, you know, it wasn't a lot of money, but for a two person household, like, You're it was. That weird yeah. In between. So, like, <clears throat> the, uh, this program, this particular program couldn't help me, so they sent me down the street to uh, this now. Um, I don't know if it's defunct or, or what had happened, but it closed down, right? Mm-hmm. But I go in there, and when I go in there, it's the initial meeting of a men's group. Really? This man um, had gotten a group together, some men from the neighborhood, mainstream, native, mm-hmm. like all this, and it was really like how to be a better father. Mm. Oh, cool. And I'm like, man, like, I, I don't even know what I was doing, but, like, I came over here because my case manager sent me over here, and they're like, no, we don't have those resources for you, but we're starting this class if you'd like to join, and it's free. Oh, mm. that's cool. So, yeah. like, I ended up going there, and it was, like, a freaking 12-week program. Oh, And then nice. I made, like, a good connection and everything. But anyway, long story short, I was working, and then I would go to that uh, that class, and one night when I went over there, like, man, me and my daughter, like, my check wasn't cutting it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we had needed some, um, a little bit more food and everything. Because I'd pay rent, um, fill up my tank, and I would use that for mm-hmm. two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I went to go sign up at WIC, and the lady just kind of laughed at me, you know? Oh. Down here at Riverstone, and she's like, well... I need proof that you're, you know, um, that the the, the mother that the mother is not here. And I'm like, man, like I had left, and I was like, man, I was heated because I didn't have nowhere to turn. Like I didn't have a lot of help. Like when I first came to sobriety, right? Like, yeah, um, I didn't have a a circle. Like I didn't have any of that. It was like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then I had to wait that following week, and he's like, hey, man, so did you get the wick? Like, man, I hope it helped. I'm like, man, that lady. It is like, literally called women and yeah, and children. Yeah. And I'm like, did they not realize that there's single fathers out there? Yeah. Like who in their mind came up with but this? But this is like twenty sixteen. <gasps> you know, this is like seven years ago. I'm you know, young single father. Like I didn't know better. Like and I already felt somehow about asking for help. I know. And then she made me feel even dumber, right? Like but then this guy called, man, and it took like ten seconds on a phone. 
He's like, hey, this is so-and-so, and I have my client here that's trying to get away. Oh, send him down. He's like, yeah, Good. he did, but. Good. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you don't have a lot of, like, public resources available for men, for single fathers. You don't. Um, there's a lot of resources that aren't available for parents that make over, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, um, over the assistance part. Uh, that one would be, but also I, I think, like, for me as a as a man too, like when we reach out, that part's embarrassing. Yeah. Because they don't realize like we're fighting all this pride in this you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. because we're as men, especially in Crow society, Native American society, like we're taught to be men. Like we're taught not to discuss our feelings. We're taught not to reach out. Like we're taught to take care of it, man up, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. So when we do, then you have society that's making fun of us. Yeah. So it is it, it is a little hard, mm-hmm. um, but I appreciate all the work that you're doing. I appreciate like the MMIP man. You every time that I've worked with you, you've just you've just been fast. <laughs> um, you've gotten these things out. You're like, hey, you know, can uh, you've been pretty pretty e- efficient at what oh, you thank do. You. Thank um, you. So with that, but but also like for men, I think women's women in our society could be a little bit more supportive, especially Amen. when it comes to mental health. Mm-hmm. Do you hear that ladies? <laughs> you know, because it's like, man, we expect this man to freaking do a, B, C and D. And then mm-hmm. the woman freaking, it's like, we're supposed to act like she walks on water. You know what I yeah. mean? Well, and, and men are sacred too. No, I totally yeah, get no, it. Like we do though, like, especially yeah. with the whole freaking social media deal. Mm hmm. You know, like, man, it's so hard, like, to even engage in, a, like, a, a conversation with people that are being, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we're, we're, I don't know, the game's different now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, like, totally different. It's, like, the roles are reversed. Like, women are trying to be men, like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and then men are trying, like, I don't know, we're, we're trying to be comfortable in, in like, because I'm a single father. Mm-hmm. And I'm out there, but but it's, like, like, what's going on? Like, how? We don't really have a very supportive woman society. We don't. We Not don't. at all. And then, you know, coming from my perspective where, you know, I'm a woman, um, even within our circles, there's a lot of lateral violence. Yeah. And mm. so we'll be competitive with each other. And, and this is more specifically towards indigenous women. Um where we'll be competitive, we'll undermine each other, we'll make false allegations to discredit one another, we'll, mm. you know, that's been one of the biggest impediments as far as my particular work goes, because there's times where individuals get um, jealous that they don't have the skill set that I have, um, not taking into consideration that I've gone undergone a lot of training i've put a lot of work into being able to learn this skill set i've sacrificed i've done you know i've i've paid for most of the mmip uh work here in the state of montana out completely out of pocket yeah. and i maintained a job that mm. um was very uh stressful in order to afford to pay for the mmip movement because you can't go to a politician and say i need you to fund this activism yeah. you can't go to an organization and say i need you to fund this activism they're going to tell you no because it's you know there's times where there's controversial topics that are brought up and a lot of people don't want to have to do damage control for stuff that is said in the heat of the moment or or things like that so i get it so a lot of activism a lot of my activism has been paid for out of pocket and i've paid thousands of dollars out of pocket um and you know it's come at an expense of of a lot of you know fun things i could have been doing with that money but So I contend with, you know, the indigenous female um, 
lateral violence and then i'm noticing that indigenous males are had are kind of held to a double standard yeah um and there's less support less advocacy and you, you know when i had originally started doing the mmip movement here in southeastern montana i was actually told by a local mmiw advocate that i wasn't allowed to advocate for the men and mm. I, I straight up told her that's not going to be – I'm not discriminating against men. Yeah. I was like they are part of the tribe. Um, you know, I'm not having – I don't have to ask permission. Um, I don't care how pissed off you get at me. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is we had tribal elders from Northern Cheyenne and Crow both specifically request that we do advocate for the men. So I'm mm. like, you know, I'm not going to listen to another advocate that I don't see boots on the ground with me in the communities and then not listen to my tribal elders who are yeah. requesting specifically I advocate for the men. So I, I I know that there's a terrible lack of resources for single fathers because I see it. And then there's the shame and the stigma. You know, I, I feel like indigenous men, especially in Billings, are – very stigmatized when it comes to not only, you know, um, needing help, yeah. um, but there's a lot of stereotypes that we're still combating. There's a lot of racism that we're yeah. still combating. And it's it's unfortunate because that's part of what kind of contributes to substance abuse yeah. in that, you know, you, you take a person and you break them down spiritually, mentally, physically, and emotionally. You do that to an individual long enough. It takes a psychological toll to where what they're going to do is want to numb that pain. Yeah. And the biggest thing that – and the easiest and the quickest and the cheapest way to do that and the legal way is alcohol. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's like you're sitting there dealing with the issue and you don't know how to solve the problem. There aren't resources there to support you in terms of what it is that you're trying to do, which is to be a single father. And one slip-up, it can cost everything because yeah. the second you slip up as an Indian man, CPS is involved, the police are yeah. involved. If you have a jaded ex-partner, they know that you're... That's how it was. You know, yeah. with CPS, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but even like with CPS, like uh, initially it dealt with them like eight, nine years ago. And man, that was like, yeah, it. that was crazy, but... It's a double standard. Yeah, it is a, a double standard. Uh, there was another question that I had, but it's freaking slipping my mind right now. Um, um, man, what was it on? Um, I forgot. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're, you're fine. <laughs> no, it yeah. just brought to mind like when I, <clears throat> um, like the lack of resources. Like, go ahead, go ahead. You found it. You did it. Okay, yeah. It. So like, oh, like check this out. Like it's so like jaded, right? Like it's. The system is geared to work for women, right? In this aspect, because I've heard of like this couple were fighting and um, the, they were native and they were on a college campus. They were fighting and the police came in and they were going to arrest the man. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, hey, man, like pull you over here. And like he showed him, you know, his private, like private area and you're like this is what happened and it wasn't until like they saw that injury did she get charged they didn't charge her but they, oh but the thing is but the thing is they didn't take this man to jail that night oh she should have been charged you know what i mean Dang. so like oh that's they were disgusting. in a physical altercation because of what she like she was kicking and clawing down there you're kidding i'm not kidding at all oh my i mean 
damn. Yeah, and it was like, mm. I get like, from what I've heard, right? And this is a second hand story. Like, it was like black and blue there. Like, and the cops like, were, like, the cops were taking him to jail and they were like, hey, like, can and I he was the yeah, victim in the situation. Like, yeah, he was the victim. Yeah. And that's how, like, jacked up it is. Yeah. You know, Sorry, just I mean, even up. even like in, in, in the fight for my daughter, like my uh, my ex had tested um, positive for meth, had mm-hmm. tested positive for marijuana and alcohol mm-hmm. and had gotten a new charge. And they still gave my daughter back to her mom. And the, tri- the trippy thing is that lady still works there. Mm, mm, mm. That's messed up. And then they wonder why the state of Montana has such issues with male suicides. Yeah. Because it's, this lady still works there. Like and I they're still, like, oh, yeah. suicide, blah, blah, all this BS. And I'm like, do you do realize that sometimes these leadership decisions and the impact of a community and domestic violence are contributing to our suicide? Yeah. Like, it's not yeah. just the person being mentally ill. It is them undergoing a long duration of abuse, and yeah. they feel like their only way out. Voiceless. Is, and they're voiceless, and they have no support. They're just they end themselves. Yeah, and and mm. those aren't conversations we're having right now, which pisses me off because we have all of these suicide awareness and all of this. It, it seems more performative to me. We have all of this funding there, and it's not actually doing anything to get the suicide rate down here in yep. the state of Montana because we choose not to have these hard conversations about how sometimes women can be very manipulative and vindictive and abusive and just all-out heinous, evil, wicked people um, to a point where it can break a man down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they know exactly how to play victim and work the system yep. in their favor and then – they wonder why, you know, we have such high alcoholism rates and such high suicide rates and such high everything else as far as, um, I'm going to say, what are they called? Um, social ails. Yeah. You know, we, women, we as women really do need to take charge as far as yeah. and take responsibility for our actions when it comes to a lot of things. And, I mean, I'm two-spirit, so I've dealt with women myself. Um, I know from personal experience that women will manipulate a system in yeah. order to gain custody of a children or whatever other thing that they feel they're entitled to. So thank you for speaking on that. Like yeah. you're going to get me all fired up. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be here for a whole nother hour. I know. I will talk forever. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's all good. And like, I remember like when I went through my divorces, I had two divorces and like nobody checked on me. Everybody asked about the kids. Everybody asked about how the mom was doing. I had one person call me and check on me throughout both divorces. Dang. My parents never called and said, how are you doing? What you got going on today? It was always, how are the kids doing? Mm. This is a rough time for them. How are they doing? That was always the conversation. My friends, you know, nobody checked on me. Mm -hmm. Um, One person. Through that whole, both divorces. He actually know, called I, me and was like, hey, how you doing? Like, I'm all right, why? And he's like, oh, I was just checking on you because I know you're going through a lot and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I almost started crying. Because, mm. like, through that whole process, like, one person checked on me. Because, like, nobody cares about the dad. Nope. And then through both divorces, automatically you got to fill out a child support mm-hmm. thing. And then no matter how, no matter what, 
um, it's always ruled in favor of the mother. Mm-hmm. Even if the mother's making more than you, the man still has to pay child support. Mm. And sometimes those child support amounts, they are so detrimental to the men being able to manage their own homes. Yeah. Yeah, because it can be an amount that um, makes it really difficult for them to like just subsist on their own. No, and it just it's completely dependent on you know what the person who's in charge decides the family's entitled to. Mm -hmm. But it's like, do you realize how expensive it is to maintain two separate homes? Like, you know, they're going to have a home A and home B now. Mm -hmm. Why do I have to send my funds over to home A? Yeah. If we're going to have the kids 50 50. They're probably not even going to be spent on a kid anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Tell the truth. I know. That's what, yeah. Like we see a high rise of, of, of that too, where the mother is getting drunk and high. Oh, really? But getting the, getting the father for child support. That's insane. Yeah. I know one, a personal friend of mine right now that does that. No. Yeah. You know, and I hear about that, but I don't have children, so I've never had to deal with the whole child support thing. So I I know that there's things out there that I'm not aware of when it comes yeah. to like child custody and like. It's just got to be like on like it's got to be on par like both sides. You know what yeah. I mean? Like one thing like it, it's crazy because Chris Rock um has this uh comedy that he just dropped, Selective Outrage. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's like you, we we select what we're outraged at like rather than be outraged at all injustice yeah Mm -hmm. but we we pick and choose what battle we're fighting like you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and we can't do that like i i feel like we have to go with what's better for the children we have like no matter if it's the father or the mother that's straight Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. go like just kind of use your common sense but i feel like a lot of it is geared towards the female um, to get the, you know, to get custody of the children, to get like, we've streamlined it for them, for that yeah. side of that part of society to get everything in their favor. Mm-hmm. So like for my daughter, like before I went to treatment, uh, the week, the day before, the day I left to treatment, I went to the Crow Tribe and to Hardin and I put my daughter, I, I gave my mom power of attorney and I like had her in my custody. Mm-hmm. Um, she had physical ownership of her but what cps here did was lure my mom off the reservation and then once she came in they already had jurisdiction really yeah holy buckets see and and that's a lot of like that's a lot of manipulation too yeah manipulation from the system the system that's supposed to help the, the children yeah family breakdown has been probably one of the biggest contributing factors to um homicides and missing persons when it comes mm-hmm. to domestic violence yeah because there's times where I feel like I feel like things are kind of how do you say um weighted in favor of the mother having custody yeah. of the children when sometimes that is not in the best interest of children yeah um and I don't know why that exists, but there's times where I feel like the father is probably the better parent. Yeah. Um, especially if the mother is an active user. And so I I really wish that there was something that I could do beyond my capacity to kind of start remedying that. But I do know that foster care and CPS intervention in um, domestic violence contributes to um, the issue when it comes to missing youth. And um, I want to say 
broken families. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, sometimes you have people that are making judgment calls that come from a different culture that don't understand exactly how that other culture works. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And what the options are as far as maintaining that child's health. Yeah. They're they're following from their cultural norms and trying to apply that cross culturally and it doesn't work. Yeah. Um and unfortunately the the people at the end of this, you know, shit show, pardon my French, um, <laughs> that end up like hurt are the children. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. the ones that suffer. They're the ones that yeah. undergo the tragic loss. They're the ones that um, develop the um, maladaptive coping skills or mental health issues, and then you—that's when you start seeing the cycle repeat. And so you'll see families having been involved in, you know, CPS repeatedly, yeah. things like that. And so it's sad. And I'm glad you've been able to work through that and and be in a healthy place now. And I, from you know my understanding based on this conversation, yeah. and so. Um, it's it's good that you know things worked in your favor and the creator had your back yeah. on that because it's always tragic to see when children are returned to a parent, be it male or female or non-binary or what yeah. have you. Um, that is just going to continue to harm them. You know, had that same type of judgment not been applied in Antonio Renova's case, if they had just done what was best for Antonio, he would still be alive today. Yeah. Yep. And and that's always going to sit with me because I know I know it was the adults in his circle that made the worst decision that cost yeah. him his life, mm. Mm. and that's always a big fear for me because I'm like, man, sometimes you know, with what my understanding is of Antonio Renova's case, is they didn't want to do the adoption because it would have been to a Caucasian family. Um, honestly, you know, Antonio had FAS. Um, he was set up to fail from the moment he was conceived, um, and was unfortunately, you know, given the worst set of variables when it comes to success in life. Um, there's no way he was going to ever live a normal life because his own mother chose to drink with him while he, she was pregnant with him. You know, and, and I've talked to people that have survived FAS, FAE, and live with it. And mm. one of the biggest things that they always, you know, confide in me is, and it's sad. It's sad to sit there and look at a person across the table and, and have them ask you, why did my mother choose to do this to me? Mm. That that breaks my heart every time. Yeah. Because it's preventable. It's a preventable d- uh, disorder. And I have no answer. Yeah. And it's like... That's one of the things, too, is we have a lot of people out there that have FAS, FAE that end up becoming a vulnerable person set up to fail because of the mother's decision to drink with that child. Um, And then we end up with cases like Antonio Renova where a five-year-old was brutally murdered by his own biological parents. Mm, mm, And it's mm. fucking sad. Yeah, it's really sad. And I'm very grateful for the work that you're doing and that I know that you're going to continue to do. And, you know, I know for one, for myself, I would, any way I can help or support or, um, I'm down and (laughs) I'm down with the cause. And so, yeah, with that, is there any closing words on the topic or the episode that you guys want to share before we sign off? Or anybody got a joke? <laughs> I know. It's always really serious content. I know. No, it's good, though. It needs to get out there. That's why we're here. Go ahead. You look like you're going to say something. 
or I, sing a song. I, I I think it's best just to, for me to let this episode be what it is at this point because yeah. I think we can go on and on and on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, but I will say this is that thank you for being here, Charlene. Mm-hmm. I, every time I listen to you talk, every time we have conversations, I learn from you, you're your enthusiasm, your dedication, and your love for the things that you do, it's not only inspirational, but it's infectious. Mm. I'm right? good. Like, like <laughs> I, I'm sitting here, and you're like, I could get fired up, and I'm like, I thought we were fired up. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's go. Let's go. Bust down the door. I'm yeah. like PG-13 right now. <laughs> well, yeah. I, well, that's that's how I that's how I got to be, too, because otherwise, you know, I'll pop off. Like, when these mics are not hot. Yeah. And I just, these guys. Get your Yeah. Like, like, every other, he uses the F word like a comma. I know. You know, I was kidding. <laughs> it's a so comma in his This language. is me being reserved. So. Yeah, I am very reserved right now, and so, I have have a slight headache from it. <laughs> my my get, blood pressure's up. You get, you get used to it. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, yeah, thanks a bunch for being here. Thanks for, you know, um, sharing everything that you mm-hmm. had. You're, uh, we always tell our all of our guests this, is that you're always welcome back. Next time you come back, you will not be a guest. You will be a co-host. Oh, okay. Yeah, we'll so just you, talk about a topic. We, we've adopted you into the tribe. Oh, <laughs> oh. You are now one of the unspoken words disciples. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty cool <laughs> so yeah t- thanks a lot for coming in and uh oh i got a joke for you yeah what do eskimos get when they sit on the ice too long bingo butt polaroids <laughs> <laughs> bingo butt what were you gonna say <laughs> i don't know uh, say something <laughs> bingo butt <laughs> bingo butt that's how i laughed at right on right on any closing words pod gaddy Thank you so much for the work that you do. Um, we do need this out here. And being boots on the ground, man, I understand. Man, just keep it up. Keep doing what you're doing because we need you. Thank you. Oh, you guys are going to make me cry. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, we appreciate you. And um, thanks for coming on. And we're definitely looking forward to some collaborations and having you back on the potty, the pod gaddy, the pod the episodes. I don't even know what I'm talking about now. <laughs> Episode 124. 124. It's a wrap in 12. 124. Yeah. Yeah, 124. Last week was 123. Yeah. Holy moly. <laughs> Man, it's flying. That's what I was saying. You guys have done a lot. I know. Next week, 125. Oh. Dang. 125? 125. Mm-hmm. We're going to be back better, <laughs> bigger, better, stronger than ever. So to all our listeners all over Flatter, thank you for tuning in. And to our Unspoken Words disciples, keep spreading Unspoken Words gospel. Billy Graham Oops. style. Ah, hey, ah, hoo. Ah, hoo. We love and appreciate all of you. Don't drink. Go home. Love your family. Ah, hoo. Yo, Josiah Mo Fire, aka Mo Hugs Not Drugs. Thanks for tuning in. Peace.